Well, this morning, we are going to participate in communion and sharing the Lord's Supper today. So if you will take the elements that we gave you when you came in, let me just remind you that we celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper here. And so that means if you know the Lord, you made a decision to follow him, then you are welcome to celebrate with us today. In the book of Revelation, this morning we're going to be reflecting on eternity The Apostle John had this incredible vision. And in Revelation 5, he had this glimpse, if you will, of eternity. And he saw the one on the throne, and in his hand he had this scroll, and yet the scroll could not be opened. It was sealed seven times. And the question was asked, who can open this scroll? And the answer was no one. No one was worthy, and so John began to weep. And finally, in verse 5, in Revelation 5, the text says, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise, I mean, in glory and praise. The lamb who was slain. Well, today, as we'll receive these elements, we're going to be reminded of the death of our Lord and that our salvation was purchased for us by his life and then his death on a cross. And every time we receive these elements, we remember what the Lord has done for us as he offered up himself for us, for our sin, so that we might live forever. Hallelujah. So before we receive this bread and this juice, let's pray. And I want you just to reflect upon the Lamb of God this morning as we bow in his presence and we celebrate his death for us. And let's reflect upon his worthiness and the fact that we have been given the precious gift of eternal life because of his faithfulness. Father, today we We reflect upon the beauty 
and the richness of this story that the lamb who was slain lives and because of his death and his sacrifice and his faithfulness we also live and so we pray now your blessings on this bread this fruit of the vine as we remember the death of our Lord and we look forward to the future for we will celebrate anew with you and all your children in glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll take these elements and you'll notice there's a small, clear cellophane tab that you can pull back first. So let's do that. It's a little hard to do, but I hope you can do that. And let's take this wafer. If you don't have one, would you just raise your hand? Our ushers are here. They will bring you one if you didn't get one coming in. We have some down here, Patsy, I think. And you know, we believe that this bread, as simple as it is, it represents the very body of Jesus. And it was in that body that Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And it was in that body that he died on the cross for our sin. And so as we receive this bread, we give God thanks for the Lord Jesus and his faithfulness in his body. So take and eat. If you tear that second tab back... This fruit of the vine for us represents the blood of Jesus. Obviously reminding us this morning of the cost of our salvation. That it cost the Lord Jesus his very life. You know, blood in the scripture represents life. So the life of Jesus offered up for our sin. Drink ye all of it. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. We thank you, Lord, that even when we receive the Lord's Supper, we're offered a glimpse of eternity. We look backwards and we're mindful of the precious gift you've given us and the cost of it. But also, Lord, we celebrate the present, our fellowship, our community, our communion with you and with one another. And we also peer into the future. As we know that Jesus told us that he would not partake of this fruit of the vine again until one day in glory with all of us at that great wedding feast of the Lamb. And so today, we are grateful for the Lamb of God, slain and yet lives. And we declare he is worthy. Amen. And amen. Well, this morning, we will bring this series to a conclusion. What do you 
believe? And you know, we've been asking that question all of the fall, and we've looked at various topics. What do we believe about a number of things? Well, we will end the conversation today with this question, what do you believe about eternity? So if you have your copy of the Old Testament, why don't you look with me at, at the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the more puzzling books in our Bible. Uh, it tells us at the beginning it is written by the Koholeth in Hebrew, the preacher, the teacher. Many scholars believe, of course, is Solomon. And it is a part of the wisdom material in the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at one of these wisdom poems that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And just reading this one text kind of gives you a sense of the entire book. So look with me at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, where the writer says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. That's a key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes because this is not necessarily a word of instruction. This is a word of observation. Here's what life is like under the heavens. Verse two, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to mourn and time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Well, I want to begin this conversation this morning by asking this question. What time is it? What is it, Trey? 916, thank you. And that's a great answer. But I'll respond to you, Trey, with what Robert Lamb wrote years ago. Does anybody really know what time it is? You know, this text, Ecclesiastes 3, Pete Seeger. Remember he wrote that song, Turn, Turn, turn. Y'all remember it? To everything there is a season. He didn't really write that song. He just quotes Ecclesiastes 3. Basically later to be recorded by the birds. This text was was John Kennedy's favorite text. And so at his funeral this is the text that was read um, at his memorial service after his assassination. So I'll ask you the question again, what time is it? Well, the answer is, it depends. It actually depends. In Ethiopia, you know that the Orthodox Ethiopians do not use the Gregorian calendar that you and I use. 
The Orthodox Ethiopians use the Ethiopian calendar. And it begins at a year different than ours. And it basically is rooted in a discrepancy concerning the actual birth of Jesus. And so the Ethiopian calendar is actually seven years behind our calendar. So um, it is only 2014 in Ethiopia, according to Orthodox Ethiopians. And their new year begins on September the 11th. Unless it's a leap year, then it begins on September the 12th. The Ethiopian Orthodox folks also don't use AM and PM like we do. They use the 12 hour clock and it runs from dawn to dusk and dusk to dawn. So if you ask the question in Ethiopia, what time is it? Well, it depends. The Jewish calendar. You know, the Jews have had a calendar much longer than we have. Their calendar is a lunar calendar. The Gregorian calendar is a solar calendar. Well, there are 12.4 lunar months in a solar year. So that makes it challenging for the Jews because they're seasonal people. They have festivals that are supposed to occur at different seasons of the year. And so in the fourth century, Hillel II solved the problem of the Jewish calendar. And so he simply suggested that the Jewish month Adar be repeated in a 19-year cycle every third, sixth, eighth, 11th, 14th, 17th, and 19th year. And that will keep all the festivals in the right seasons. So I'll ask you again, what time is it? Well, it it depends. And you and I are accustomed today to time zones. But you know, time zones have not always existed. Time zones were actually created in the United States. Do you know why? To accommodate the running of the railroad. Because we couldn't keep up with the railroad stations when the railroad would, the trains would arrive at various times. So the railroad actually invented their own timekeeping system and it was called railroad time. But finally, the powers that be decided to keep up with railroad traffic in the 1800s. There was no acceptable standard. And so eventually four time zones were suggested and they've changed variously through the years as we have adjusted them. But... In North America, everyone has accepted the time zones except for Newfoundland. Newfoundland does not operate on the standard hour deviation assigned to all the time zones. It has adjusted its clock forward 30 minutes. So it's the only place in North America that is off according to our time schedule by half an hour. So when you cross over to the border of Newfoundland, you ask the question, what time is it? Well, it depends. Communist China made the decision to standardize their time across China according to what they call Beijing time. Well, you know how massive China is. It only has one time zone. And so the permanent Beijing standard time causes it by the time you get to the border of Afghanistan to be three and a half hours off of the time in Afghanistan. India and Nepal, when you cross that border, it's off by 15 minutes because of the decisions those two governments have made. Here in Arlington, Texas, this exact time next week will actually be one hour off. 
right? This exact time next week will be an hour earlier, true? Now, who decided that? You're going to do it. As a matter of fact, you can't help yourself because your clocks are gonna automatically do it, whether you like it or not. Who decided that for you? U.S. Congress. It turns out that in America, if you ask the question, what time is it? Whatever time the U.S. Congress says it is, is what time it is. Unless you live in Arizona or Hawaii. (laughs) Because they don't use daylight savings time. Unless you are a part of the Navajo Nation in Arizona and they do use daylight savings time. So I'll ask you again, what time is it? And does anybody really know what time it is? Well, remarkably, the Bible has much to say about time. But the Bible talks about time differently than we do. It has a different perspective on time. And it has a very rich vocabulary with regards to time. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. In particular, the Greek New Testament has some specific words that we often translate with our word time. The Old Testament in Hebrew has words as well that we translate with the English word time. So what I'd like to do this morning real quickly is just run through a very brief, basic vocabulary list of the words used in the scripture for time just to give us a better understanding of what time it is. So in the New Testament, there are several words for time. The first one is chronos, K-R-O-N-O-S. Now, obviously, we get our English word chronology from that word. And the Greek word chronos is what you would think it is. It's measured time. In other words, when I asked the question a moment ago, and Trey, you answered that question, that's chronos time. And interesting, interestingly, in the New Testament, the Bible does use this word, but it doesn't offer us much information about it. It doesn't really nuance it. It doesn't really give much explanation about it. It just acknowledges it, that there is measured time. The word that's much more important in the New Testament <clears throat> with regard to time is the word kairos time. Kairos time is not measured time like you measure with a clock or, or an earthly calendar. It is meaningful time. It is, it is the kind of time that we mean when we say it was the fullness of time or it was just the right time or it's about time. Kairos time is meaningful time and the idea in the scripture is this, God is at work And Kairos time is opportunistic time and God is at work and he's offering you an opportunity to experience the fullness of that time. That's what that word means. And God operates in the fullness of time. Years ago, when our church, when we first came here, our church adopted the Fulani. Y'all remember this? And Cindy and I started leading teams into West Africa into a nation where we no longer go because of multiple restrictions. But we used to visit the villages in that nation and and the chief of that village, Abraham, if you remember, Abraham welcomed us 
Y'all remember me telling you a story about Abraham? He prepared a place for Cindy. She has a little hut there in his village. Well, Abraham's son, <clears throat> Hamadou, was a very important strategic person. When we first started going there, he, he was very friendly to us and he acted like he wanted to become a believer, but he very quickly reserted back to his traditional folk Islamic practices. Well, Abraham has died and uh, several years ago and Hamadou is now the new chief of that village. Well, we've been going there for, uh, or we've been connected to that community now for about 13 years, <clears throat> actually longer than that, probably about 16 years. And uh, we have prayed for Hamadou because he has been a strong leader in that community. We got word this week he has just prayed to receive Christ as the chief in that village. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. <clears throat> it was just the right time. It's taken a long time, but it came about in the right time, Kairos time. In the New Testament, there's the word eschatos. We get our word eschatology from it. That word means the end times, the, the last times. You also have in the New Testament a word that translates a word from the Old Testament, and it's also its own word in the New Testament, and that's the word eon, A-I-O-N. And it is connected to the Hebrew word holam. That word means age. It means eternity. Whenever you see the word everlasting in your Bible, in the Old Testament, it's olam. In the New Testament, it's aeon. And we get our English word eon from that word. It means eternity, everlasting. In the New Testament, it is directly connected to life in Jesus. The New Testament teaches us that if you believe in Jesus, you will live even if you die. You will live Eon, you will live eternally, you will live forever. In other words, Jesus offered us a new quality in life. It's an abundant life, it's an eternal life. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have what? Eon, life, eternal life. Life into the ages, if you will. Life that will last you Forever, So it's a very important word in the New Testament. It's life that lasts forever. Now also, with regard to time in the New Testament, you have this convergence, this, this collapsing of two ages. Because the Bible has much to say about ages, and that is the present evil age and the age to come. Here's what's fascinating about those two ages. They've been collapsed today so that there's, a, there's an intersection now. And y'all know that I believe in what theologians call inaugurated eschatology. That means that when Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom age, the age to come. He's, we, he was still living in this present evil age. I mean, duh, they killed him. So he was in the present evil age, but Jesus established a new age. It's the age to come. So the age to come has now collapsed into this present evil age. They're not linear in their relationship. The age to come is a fulfilling age. It's a part of the Kairos time where God is already at work. That's why the apostle Paul says, you and I, in Ephesians, he says, we're seated in the heavenlies. Well, how can we be seated in the heavenlies when we're living right here on earth? Well, the reason we can do that is because we're already a part of the age to come. Jesus said the kingdom of God is now here. 
The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is near. So the present evil age is still here. Obviously, we live in it, but you and I as believers, we've got the opportunity to live in the age to come. So let me sum it up like this. In real history, chronos, in the present evil age, at the fullness of time, kairos, the present evil age collapsed with and converged with the age to come. And it's been manifested and the ministry launched in the last days, eschatos by Jesus, has made the age to come a reality. So, what time is it? <laughs> well, the time is right for us to have abundant life and to already begin experiencing eternal life. Now, all of that connects to this text because this is a text about time. This is where the, the writer is saying, I'm looking at my world under the heavens and I just see all these different expressions of time and they're contrasting. Life and death, he says, rejoicing and weeping, uh, reaping and sowing, all these things that coexist together. But there's also a profound um, implication in this text that's taught throughout the rest of the scripture. There are two of them. Let me give them to you real quickly. The first one is this. God is before and beyond time, and yet he holds time in his hands. You know, the Bible opens, and it says, in the beginning, God. Moses asked God, what is your name? And God said, I am. I exist. He just is. He exists independently of his creation. He is God. He is before time. He is beyond time. Psalm 31, verse 15, the psalmist says, my time is in your hands. What does this text say? Well, look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. <clears throat> Nobody can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God is at work in time. Time is in God's hands, and yet God exists before and beyond time. He is not bound by time nor space, yet he has chosen to live and exist and reveal himself in both of those to us so that we might understand him and have a glimpse of who he is. But he is before time and he's beyond time, and yet time is in his hands. But here is the word for me and you. <clears throat> this is the gift he's given to us with regard to time. And that is God has created us for time, for this time, and for eternity. And what a gift that is. I want you to look at verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 3. The writer says this with this incredible insight. He also has set eternity in the human heart. What a gift. He's given you something really precious, eternity within you. That separates you from all the rest of creation. It's really a part of the image of God in all of us. God has given us a beautiful gift. We're living in time, absolutely, this time. We're living in this present evil age, but God has given us something. He's given us a gift. He allows us to live in real time, but as we live in real time, we have real live eternal consequences based upon how we live our lives. So there's two things I'd say about what I believe that means. One, it means we have the potential for an eternal perspective. 
I mean, God, that means God has given you the gift of being able, to, being able to understand things differently than those who are outside of Christ. He's given you a glimpse, an ability to connect with him and understand their eternal ramifications based upon the decisions we make. That means that when you're living your life right now on this earth, you need to recognize that there's more going on than just what you see and what you experience with your five senses. There's something else afoot, if you will. There's a whole nother world at work, a whole nother kingdom in place. And God's given you the chance, the ability, the opportunity to experience it even in this era. That's why you and I have an eternal perspective. So as Christians, for example, when we go to a Christian funeral, we go with grief in our hearts, but our grief is tinged with joy. You know why? Because we know there is more to life than what we see. We know there is a life beyond, a life that's deeper and richer than what we're just experiencing here on earth. What does that mean? Well, that means God's put eternity in our hearts. He's, he's put something inside of us that separates us. That means we have the opportunity to get a glimpse occasionally of the fact that God is actually at work in this world. It's hard to understand. I don't know how to explain it. I heard Corey Tim Boom one time speak about this topic, and here's what she said. She said, here's how I view it. I'm living my life under the heavens, and that means I have a limited perspective. I don't always know what's going on. She says, the way I imagine it is the underside of a rich, beautiful rug. And she said, I'm looking up at it and all I see are the threads hanging through that rug. And she said, if I look close enough and if I spend enough time, I might detect a pattern, perhaps. But that's all I see. She says, every once in a while in my life, she said, God has occasionally lifted me up and given me a glimpse of the top side of the rug and I see this beautiful tapestry that God is weaving together in my life in connection with others and then he drops me back down to live where I have to live every day and that's the underside of the rug. That's, that's in some ways an attempt to say God gives us an occasional glimpse of eternity. That your life is more than just what you sense or see. So that's one application of God setting eternity in our hearts. The second application is this. God has created you for eternity, which means you're going to live forever. And now that's where the eternal ramifications meet us. Because here's what Jesus came to offer you, life. He came to offer you life abundant on this earth. He came to offer you meaning and purpose. He came to offer you significance. He came to rescue you from yourself so that you don't just live your whole life based upon what you wanna do and what you think and what you see. He wants to connect you to an eternal purpose, something grander than anything you could ever imagine on your own. He wants to forgive you for your sin. He wants to rescue you from your selfishness and egocentric approach to life. He wants to deliver you from that limited perspective and connect you to an eternal purpose. But he also came not just to give you an abundant life, but to give you an eternal life. And so when you make the decision to follow Christ, you're making an eternal decision because we're all going to live forever. We're either going to live forever in glory or we're going to live forever in judgment. And Jesus came to deliver us from judgment. That's why what you do with Jesus is the single biggest decision you will ever make in all of your life. Jesus came so that we might live and live forever, hallelujah. That's why he's worthy. That's why we remember his death, because his death delivers us. That's why we celebrate his resurrection, because it means he's the resurrection and the life. And if you will receive Jesus in your life, you'll be forgiven, 
cleansed, rescued, redeemed, restored in a relationship with God, and you'll be given the precious gift of a life that will last forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for placing eternity in our hearts and separating us qualitatively from the rest of creation so that we might truly know what time it is. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Father, we are grateful today for so many things, but certainly we're grateful for the gift of eternal life. We're grateful for the gift of an eternal perspective that we can see beyond just what we, what we would know from our limited perspective. And so Lord, we, we ask that you would just offer us a glimpse, if you will. There are those right now within the sound of my voice who wonder, what's their life about? Why, why are things happening the way they're happening? What is going on? And sometimes they can be very discouraged and Lord, for those who need it, I pray that, that you will reach down from heaven, just like Corey Ten Boom said, and maybe, maybe lift us up a little bit just, just to see the rich tapestry that you're weaving as we're living our lives in your presence and in community with other believers. And certainly, Lord, if there are those who've never made the decision to receive Jesus within the sound of my voice, may today be the day that they'll embrace him in their lives so that they might experience the richness and the beauty of a life that never ends. And we pray in his name, amen. Well, this morning, we wanna give you an opportunity to respond. So let's stand together if you're here in this room and if, if the Lord is leading you to join our church, accept Jesus in your life for the first time, well, we wanna give you the chance to do that. If you're joining us online, we certainly would love for you to uh, to, to wrestle with those decisions as well. And uh, you can go to fbca.org slash hello and you can let us know about the decision you might want to make today. And certainly if you want to receive Christ, we would be happy to visit with you about what that means. But if you want to share a decision with us today publicly, let's do that while Aaron leads us as we sing. <clears throat> Sunday morning in our uh, end of our service, we're having all these kids come down and lighting candles and do all the, doing all that. Some of you were here, but Trey McCafferty, he came forward last Sunday morning and we didn't, we didn't speak scripture over him, so we're going to do that today, but he wanted you to know last Sunday, remember he read the scripture for us last Sunday, Friday night, he was in the uh, play with us as well, but he came forward uh, giving his life to Jesus last Sunday morning. So Trey, we're so proud of you, man. Congratulations. We love you. You know that. 
and we're gonna baptize him. But I want you to say to Trey, you'll covenant to be the church home he needs during this time in his life. And, and uh, Aunt Jackie and Uncle Jerry who love him and are caring for him and a part of his life. Would you let all of them know that by saying amen? Amen. amen. Let's speak this scripture over Trey. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen, buddy. God bless you. Doesn't he look sharp too, y'all? Isn't that something, man? Come on now. All right. Okay, buddy. We'll, we will, uh, did we already take his picture? And do, do we, already, do, we already did it all and I just didn't know we'd already did it all. But we didn't do this part. Okay, so awesome. Okay, so as we go today, men, sign up for the men's conference. Also, tomorrow night is UTA basketball's first game and we want a bunch of First Baptist Arlington people to go. Our college ministry is sponsoring that. A bunch of folks have already bought tickets. So we'd love for you to go and bless them as they launch their new season together. All right? Well, thank you for being here today. As we go, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he always cause his face to shine upon you and may he grant you his peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our coming King. Amen.